Welcome to People. It's been said that the internet exposes the genius of the everyday public. Well, perhaps not in such romantic terms, but this illustrates the aim of this project, to showcase the subtle, original, and life-affirming thoughts and stories of these so-called normal people. I want to clearly state that this program has no platform, political or ideological, aside from a loose preference for openness, compassion, and humanity, and a sometimes pronounced distaste for the contrary. Again, we aim to paint a generally hopeful picture with open-ended conversations among more or less regular people. Hence, at this point, I have no intention of breaching the anonymity of the civilian guests we have on this podcast, or even my own. With that, I'm your host, now going by the alias Joseph88. This is a podcast for everyone. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening. friend of mine. Uh, we are just kind of, I'm actually visiting him in his, uh, you know, Philadelphia home. Yeah. And, in um, the kitchen. Yeah. And with, with, with the dog and everything. So and we're Littleman. Just, yeah. Yeah. So we're gearing up to have a, a conversation. We don't really know what we're going to discuss, but I, I think that this is a guy with a unique point of view. Uh, I don't know if we'll keep it anonymous or sure. not. I, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, want to, I don't want to reveal someone to the world without uh, giving them the benefit of notoriety and, and just giving them, sure. you know, like defaming them. So can I just, how would you describe your point of view, your career, and who uh-huh. you are? Well, I, I, you could say that I'm on the academic track, that I study early uh, Christian movements in the East. Um, so maybe that'll come up a little bit. Um, I'm not an not a expert. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm on the track. Um, what my point of view, um, I joke that I'm, um, uh, you know, you have libertarians or they say I'm socially liberal and economically, um, or fiscally responsible, whatever they say. <laughs> I, I say, I say that I am a, a very strong social conservative and, um, uh, a hard line, uh, economic liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so obviously, you know, I study Christianity because of my, my you know, my Catholic, I go to an Eastern Catholic church and. That undergirds all that I do. I want to live my life in a way in which that, unless I was, you know, identifying within the Christian tradition, it wouldn't make sense. You know, I, I don't want people to look at me and say, that guy, like, he's got it all together. It's making sense. I want them to say, huh, why is he doing that? So we'll see. I mean, that's the exercise. That's what it means to, to I guess, grow in holiness. So we'll mm-hmm. see. But that that's what it would undergird it. So if I sound like a, mm-hmm. a bad guy, that's because... Uh, <laughs> But I'm not. I'm just a representative of the yeah. yeah, certainly. And so, uh, before we dive into, it, I mean, I would yeah. just say, like, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you, um, especially as like one of the early experiments, yeah, uh, in in this podcast, is that I think that you harbor a surprising variety of beliefs mm-hmm. that just aren't really featured, sure. uh, in in at least in one mind. So I think you have a lot of cool things to say. So let's dive into it. Well, that, yeah, that, that's, that's very, very kind. I, I appreciate it. Cool. All right, here it is. 
Can you hear him? We're doing it live. Did that get in? Yeah, it definitely was in. You can see that it kind of spiked there. Little. So who are you there with, sir? Littleman. Who's Littleman? Oh, oh, we're recording. Yeah. No, tell me who Littleman is. My dog, Littleman. Okay. What type of dog is he? He's a miniature pincher uh, mixed with a, uh, a dachshund or a chihuahua. We don't know. He was a rescue. And how would you describe his demeanor? He's uh, friendly, but not too friendly. I see him licking the table there. Yeah, he's always hungry. He uh, he's curious. He loves to sleep. He's skittish, and he doesn't. He's very quiet and never barks. Yeah, but he 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 is very eager to jump up and greet anyone new. Yeah, in, as long as it's in his house. Right. Oh, he's, is he skittish with strangers? Yeah, a little scared outside. But he uh, he has a really soft, silky neck. Yeah, it's like every it's like every everything grew on his body except for his neck hair. Uh-huh. So it's just kind of like painting one of them. How old is he? Uh, he's a year and a half. So you can imagine that maybe one day he would have some neck hair. Or some yeah. chest hair. Yeah, he's losing some of the hair on his temple, though. Why is that? Well, receding. He's receding. <laughs> he's receding early he's not, on. No, he's actually not. He just didn't. It's just a little thin. Yeah, it's okay. But he, uh, yeah, he's a really good, really, really sweet boy. Is he on Propecia? Do you have him on Propecia? Uh, no, no. I should get him on that, though. No, it's it's bad for you. Yeah, it's probably not good for dogs, particularly. Yeah, you know, I I, I you know, I hear that Donald Trump is on Propecia. So yeah. you would imagine that it might have some side effects here and there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I didn't know, I don't know like that. I know there are some sort of sexual side effects to... Really? Not, maybe not Propecia, but I know for like male pattern baldness medicine, there's sexual side effects like loss of sex drive, stuff like that. Which one might imagine this is, is not a horrible side effect. I think I had a family member that was using it. Um, yeah. What if you have no sex drive in the first place and you start taking Propecia? Well, then you're not only chaste, but you also look great. So. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a win-win. It's a win-win, yeah, precisely, precisely. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there are varying sex side effects. Um, it's kind of like birth control. Or sometimes the side effects, like you don't, like you read the side effects and they're really, really scary. And you say, why on earth are we, you know, like, like I remember I had a coworker talk about her, she was about to get married and she was telling me, for some reason she confided in me about her using birth control. And um, she was saying like some of the side effects were like, like internal bleeding or something, something outrageous. And it was, you know, why go, you know, why do that? Yeah, it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm thinking of like, I mean, you know, you have your reasons, I guess, but yeah, I, I've been you know exploring, uh, or not exploring, but just like presenting myself as though I was interested in Ayurvedic medicine. <laughs> so so I'll be you know in a conversation with someone, and I realize that I like the image of myself interested in that type of thing. Right. So I'll tell someone I'm interested in it, and they ask me, you know, okay, so what can you tell me? I'm like, well, black seed oil is supposed to lower your blood pressure and cholesterol and things like that. So you've been eating a lot of it, or using a lot of it, rather. Do you put it on your skin? No. I put it, you know, you I, it I drink it. Yeah, like a tea, like an herbal. I, yeah, I would put I've it. I've seen people do, they do black seeds with honey, like it's a, it's a Mediterranean thing, right? I don't know. I mean, you know, I haven't traveled enough to really... Well, uh, yeah, I think on the back of the bag I got from Whole Foods, there's a spoon of honey and there's black seeds in it. 
Oh, really? Yeah, which sounds good. I, 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 it's an ancient. Yeah, it's an ancient. It's, it's, an ancient it's, it's in the Hadith, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, so. Yeah, and one, you know, you know, I, I'll, I'll have black seed powder in, in my food, for instance. Yeah, right. You know, like a really interesting cocktail that I came up with is you get a little bit of bourbon. Mm-hmm. Just this. And a little bit of, you know, you get, you get uh, egg yolks. Mm. You get turmeric. Mm-hmm. You get uh, sugar. And then some, some black, uh, some have black you, seed. Have you ever tried simple syrup? I have, actually. Oh, not as, the sugar's better. No, I mean, I think I lied about the sweetener. I don't remember what I used to... Well, I actually got something at Kroger that was already kind of... Had all the ingredients combined yeah, in it, yeah. but... No, that's you're good. guess, you lie. No, yeah, I mean, I have... I've, I've tried this drink out where you take a gin. Yeah. You take, like, a gin, Plymouth or Hendrix or whatever, and then you get tonic water. Yeah. And then a, fr- <laughs> a fresh lime. Yeah. Yeah, that, one, that one's good. Is is that is that a gin and tonic? Yeah, <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> that's what that would be. That's what that would be. That's a gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where you know you'll go to the bar and you you notice you have a friend who's ordering a gin and tonic, which is it's it's a fine drink and everything, but would you say that maybe gin and tonic as well as the vodka soda have kind of the reputation of being the diet beverage? The diet beverage. It's yeah. like I want to get drunk, but I also you know don't want to you know. I guess that's like, but that's like the invention of light beer. Which did you is, get that from the table? I did. It's fine. <laughs> I think it's funny because I'm always cut. Do you want hydrogen peroxide? Huh? Do you want hydrogen peroxide? Oh no, I'm fine. I mean, this is a we're in a clean place. That's why I love uh, well, uh, Philadelphia and the surrounding areas because of the cleanliness. Uh, well, Littleman licks the edges of the table. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Okay, so that's why it's clean. Yeah, diet beverage. Light beer is the invention to get drunk, but you end up drinking so much mm-hmm. light beer that you essentially have, like, it takes four light beers to, like, say you're drinking, I don't really know, but say four but four light beers to drink the equivalent of two beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, at least alcohol-wise, right? It's like, let's do some... Or is the, the alcohol content the same? I, in, in large part, it's going to be lower, I would imagine. Yeah, I thought it was lower. It's, it's kind of like people spend... I mean, it's okay if you just like the taste of cheap beer. Mm. But it's kind of like people are like, oh, well, I want to like feel good and drink a beer, so I'm going to order three Miller High Lifes when you can have one really delicious beer. Like for, maybe a St. Bernard's 12. Like a St. Bernard's 12 for like a little cheaper. Mm. And it's it's like... It's, a, it's an excellent beer, and the ABV is equivalent to maybe three High Lifes. And the calories are a lot lower, which kind of takes you... It, it, it kind of reminds me that a lot of what one does is not for, you know, maybe your excuses that it's for a lower calorie count or something like this, mm-hmm. but it's really mostly for kind of the image or the, the social group that you're right. walking in. Be- right. And, it, and, and I guess the counter to that, though, is that, you know, I, I probably about 10 years ago I started eating, like, organic foods, mm-hmm. you know, and, yep. like, you know, getting craft beer instead of, you know... What what me Corona or like whatever I was drinking at the time. Mm-hmm. I would get craft beers. I would get craft everything, and, and it just buy buy kind of the expensive, kind of greenwashed version of whatever it was. Yeah. And I think there might be something to the 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 notion that that's a healthier way of living. Yeah. You know, like I gonna I'm gonna have like, you know, these flourless peanut butter and chocolate bars, that are, indeed, almost healthy. You know. Yeah. Sure. They are. 
so I mean, you look at you look at like these these hipsters going into Whole Foods that people right. have been making fun of for like two decades, but in reality, you know, they can be eating candy, but it's 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 healthier than, than right. what the rest of yeah, us that's, are eating. No, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of it like that. Craft beer, there's a, th- a fine line between. You have to feel out the circle you're in, you know, like some people roll their eyes at craft beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was at. We were at a little seminar thing, and we were going to have a last get together. And the guy leading it was talking about how he wanted to have like nice craft beer there. And I saw another person look towards another person and roll, roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a fine line. Um, it's kind of like I, yeah. uh, well, I, I, you know what I feel though. Just not to interject, but sure. When you, when you talk about like drinking craft beer in a group of people and, and getting, you know, variable reactions. I, I feel like you can do a little bit of social chameleoning and mm-hmm. kind of explain away the drink that you're drinking or the clothes that you're wearing yes. and you can say like, oh, you know, this is, I'm nervous, I'm new here, this is, what, this is why I'm overdressed or like, you know, I'm drinking this craft beer because my friend is hosting this party and, right. and, and loves this beer. And so I feel like that that's kind of a fine line to walk because you don't want to seem inauthentic and you don't want to always kind of be living uh, b- beholden to other people's standards. Sure. But at the same time, you can really... I think it's pretty easy to relate to most people you come into contact with. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I would say that's true. Uh, like where's the balance well I was gonna say like if you drink Belgian beer you kind of like as long as you're not holding like an IPA or like a you know like a cool pale ale those are like the stereotypical craft beers hoppy but if you have something that says like to them it might as well be like another like Heineken you know if it just if you have a little bottle bottle, it just looks like a you know to them to them to them the the peons yeah right exactly it's like yeah so you you can skirt the line you know and be like hey sorry I'm not drinking you know PBR I wanted to try this thing out it's European Mm -hmm. and I think like there's enough of a a respect for Europe uh, at least sort of ethereally yeah you know sort of like something's a name drop that you can uh, you can get away with it yeah, it's interesting. Like we hate, we imagine like in the in the states, like if there's a beer that was brewed, you know, somewhere in Colorado or like mm-hmm. you know Asheville, mm-hmm. North Carolina, mm-hmm. or like one of those hipster cities. Yeah, you you imagine like we we hate those people. Your eyes roll. Yeah, exactly. But I hate that. like if you ask me, I mean, they make very delicious beers and. Yeah, that's where great beers come from. Uh, Oscar Blues. That's from. Oh, of, of Dale's fan. Dale, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the Dale's Pale Ale. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. A craft beer is, I think it's raised the stakes for, uh, for beer in general mm-hmm. because even like I, I, I guess they're called macro breweries. I've tried to get in on the craft aesthetic, like New Belgium. Maybe is that one? Yeah, I mean, I think they maybe like I think I mean they are macro. I guess I, I really don't know too much about breweries. I guess they would, but anyway, like, I was thinking, like, Sam Adams, mm-hmm. they, like, will make, like, a hazy IPA. Right. Or, you know, you'll have, like, um, I don't remember, the, like, like, I guess Guinness isn't, yeah, Guinness will make, I mean, they're very European, but Guinness will make a, uh, Guinness will make, um, IPAs, like, nitro IPAs and all these things like that you see them at the grocery store. 
Um, and it's just like a worse flavor to the already bad tasting beer. But I mean, I like Sam Adams. I like, I mean, like I like Narragansett. I like um, classic course, the course banquet. I'm not here to, not here to just say all beer that isn't, you know, made by a monk is bad. But it's just. I mean, it's just not as good. Exactly. It's just the <laughs> it's just the beers that are made by monks, you know. Uh, I don't remember the. There's only a few. There are Trappist monasteries everywhere. There's even one outside. There's one outside of Atlanta. There's one, in Kentucky, um, but only a few commercially sell their beer. Um, you serious? Like yes. in the in the U.S. there are. Yeah, there are Trappist monasteries right? that sell beer. They uh, no, none of the U.S. sell beer. I was going to say that. I think there's one in Austria that sells beer. Um, one in there's some there's an, one in Austria I know there's one in the Netherlands Belgium obviously and um and, and I want to say Germany but I could be wrong uh, but you know so it's exclusive you know I feel cool supporting the uh, I, I, I got the West Mall I got a big box of them and on the box it like has like the whole the whole narrative about how they how they do it and how long things have been done but I imagine that like you know, if you could go to one of those monasteries that don't, they don't commercially sell their beer and you could have some of their beer, it'd probably be incredible. So it's, it's part of the tradition? Or like, yeah, it's part I, of the I know tradition. nothing about this. I just, you know, see, I see like a monk on the front of a beer bottle. I'm like, wow, you know. Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. What, what is it about? Yeah. So it's a, so like the, the Trappists yeah. is, um, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux would be their, sort of their, their patron. I think he's the one that established, you know, I'm not great with my monastic history in that regard, but he, this is, they're called Cistercians. So they're strict followers of the rule of St. Benedict. And what you see in the rule of St. Benedict, it's an old text uh, for monastic living. And it talks about, um, you know, the, the necessity of work, uh, uh, providing for the self. So that, that transitioned into, you know, brewing beers and barley and so on and so forth. Um, I said barley, but I mean growing crops. And the Cistercian Monastery, for instance, outside of Atlanta, Holy Spirit, they make biscotti. That's their specialty. Wow. So they use it to finance the monastery, among other things, provide. But yeah, so they've been making beer for a very, very long time. Very long time. Um, I can't like trace it as far as Trappist goes, but the rule of St. Benedict is, is a text, a very old text. Late. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, um, beer's good. Trappists are good at brewing it. You know, if you, a little interesting tidbit of history is that actually the, it was during the Protestant Reformation to distinguish the beer from Catholic beer was to add more hops. So every time you drink an IPA, you can thank, because the, the travelers, but you can thank Martin Luther, really, mm-hmm. because he's the one that initiated the push to have people throw in more hops to distinguish the beers. Yeah. All right, so, and there's there's no... There's no um, condemnation of getting intoxicated in these communities. No, yeah, there would be condemnation. Like you couldn't get drunk. Um, you have one or two. You have about two beers. You yeah. Know? I mean, these guys are doing like they're fasting all the time. They're they're cut off. They're cloistered. Um, no, I have a a student of mine. A sister entered a Carmelite monastery, and her mother. They're sort of the sending off ceremony, where they're you know you you. It's a liturgical ceremony, mass, what have you, and they send the daughter or the son off to be cloistered away and to not see their family anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that before the Second Vatican Council, at the ceremony, 
you couldn't even give your a hug to your your child because they would wear like a vest of nails. Now I'm not sure if that's true. I heard that from a priest. That's some weird culture. Yeah. Well, it was just like like I guess the symbol of like. Yeah, I'm not yours, but I am yours. Anyway, so there's that. So the the monks they live very strict. They're mm-hmm. they are separate from the Benedictines because they follow the they believe. I mean, they they their charism is that they they follow the rule of Saint Benedict a little bit, yeah, a little more stringent, a little more strict. So they're fasting all the time and they're praying all the time, and so I don't think drunkenness. Um, would fit in. Would fit in. You Unless know. it's just the beer is so good that they've made an exception. Yeah, well, it might just be an accident. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with uh, making, you know, ha- having a few beers. That's not, you know, they're not uh, sort of puritanical. At least mm-hmm. they, I mean, I don't, I've actually never met um, uh, a Trappist, a Cistercian. I've never met. Mm. But um, there's a, a documentary Similar, there's so many different kinds of monastic orders. There's a, there's these, there's a great documentary called Integrate Silence. And it's about these, a Carthusian monastery in France, I believe. And it follows these monks and what they do every day called Integrate Silence because the, uh, the entire film is, is silent. No one talks except for uh, one of the monks talks to a cat. There's a cat. They have a couple cats at the abbey. And he, he's like kind of coos. The cat, but otherwise, it's it's a very it's a silent movie. Uh, not like Nosferatu, but like a. Is yeah, I'm mean, like, is there any content in the movie? Or you yeah, you're just following. Put... Like I'm pretty. I'm, if I remember, the opening scene is like a monk is making tea, and he keeps checking the kettle in between his prayers. He's like kneeling and then getting up and checking it, and kneeling and then getting up and checking it, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And it's very like, sort of repetitious, and I guess it's just a little insight into. If I recall correctly, I think the guy had the guy that made the documentary um, had a hard time even trying to get the clearance to to go in and film them. Mm-hmm. You know, because no matter how organic you try and be, like you still know you're being filmed. It would it, be weird, you know. As you're saying that, I was just thinking of this weird parallel about like being cloistered, you right. know, whether by you know will you know going into a convent or something, or mm-hmm. or by you know, just ending up isolated. You know, sure. like you, you're t- you're describing this monk that is. This, it sounds funny to say, but you're describing the monk who's like pouring the tea and then saying his prayers, and you're trying to, I guess, like achieve some purity of mind or, or right. whatever it is. Right. Uh, then, I, I I was thinking of I was living alone for a few months prior, right. you know, prior to where I currently live, and I, I remember like my lifestyle was basically like staying in my apartment really never leaving and you know wake up in the morning make a cup of coffee and then you know shout out the bad thoughts like in between you know letting the French press sit for five minutes and I'm shouting out negative thoughts yeah uh, whether I'm like you know go do some push-ups or like go uh, you know put on some put on some music right uh, it, it, it in kind of in a weird way like being isolated in the West kind of resembles some sort of like Monasticism. Yeah, that's that's true. It's sad because it's not willed for many people. But if you can kind of like find the peace and ecstasy in it by like not, I guess, not judging it too much, not judging your isolation. 
Right. It, it, Humans is are like, this I, is supposed to be a ridiculous idea that I'm saying, but it's coming off as really serious. No. I really do think it's a reasonable point, though. Yeah, no, it is. I don't think humans are meant to be alone for too long. Like, everyone that lives alone is uh, reliant upon community in some aspect. Yeah. Is that Littleman? Yeah, Littleman, so he's playing with the toy. But everyone, I mean, you know, you're reliant upon... So, like, if you have, like, the great, in the, at least in the Christian tradition, the hermits, you know, the hermits are still reporting back to someone, despite... There's the tension because, you know, you have varied histories and so on and so forth, but I think that we are made for community in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, yeah, in the West, I was, or at least in the United States... Uh, isolation is, is often not willed. And, like, for someone to become a hermit in the modern sense, um, like Thomas Merton was a hermit, he, he had a hermitage. Her, and, you know, there's there's hermits and so on and so forth. Winnebago Man. Yeah, right. Have you like, seen that film? No. Okay, no. yeah, go on. He's, he's a hermit in Winnebago? No, he's, well, yeah, well, go on. You know. Okay, you'll tell me in a second. Someone will get it. Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that, at least in a religious order, um, you have to be very like mature on the spiritual path to become a hermit. You can't just say, "All right, I'm called to reside in a hermitage." You'll in the same crazy. way that in the same way that like the early desert monastic movement did, at least what's that to my knowledge? Yeah, so like uh, early desert, early desert, the desert father. So if you ever seen the movie, um, um, no, I almost said Schindler's List. <laughs> um, uh, da Vinci Code, very different movies. I don't know why Schindler's List came to mind. <laughs> But in the villain in Both Da Vinci, yeah, I've never seen either of them. Okay. I just, okay. I just know this trivia. Yeah. In the Da Vinci Code, there's a guy that walks around. I think he's the villain. Flogging himself. Yes, yes. Yeah. Flagellation. So that is something that's kind of tucked away in some writings of these early desert Christians, the Desert Fathers. So your first one that's documented, like his his name is uh, Anthony Saint Anthony. Um, there are those before him. But he essentially was, his parents died, and he gave his sister to these virgins, women, that sounded like, yeah. He gave his sister to be watched over by these sort of pious sisters, and then he trekked into the desert to live in solitude and prayer. Which desert, like the Levant? Yeah, so he was in, uh, this is, this is Egypt. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, So he, um... There's, it's hard to describe. I wish I had a map with me. But no, that's cool. Yeah. I, so I anyway, I, I won't. I won't bore you with with uh, the geographical implications. But essentially, the desert is, especially in antiquity, is a very scary place. Yeah. You know, it's dark. There's no one there. And sort of to conquer your demons, you, you go out to the desert. So he lived alone, and then there were many people that followed him and started a whole movement. And that movement sort of founded the seeds of monasticism as it's known today. Um, is birthed out of his witness and there's always their desert mothers and so on and so forth but essentially these guys wouldn't eat hardly anything they'd fast yeah all the time and they would pray all the time and they would work a little bit I mean not a little bit they would work on certain things and they were sort of nomadic and they didn't take to um, returning to society yeah in the same way you know there's like there's great collections of things and they have it's like they're wisdom sages you know and it's crazy to think that those folks were able to acquire and pass down the knowledge of, like, desert nomadism, because where are they originally from? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Alexandria. Uh, oh, they were, like, they were, oh, because Alexandria was the cultural Right, like, they were like, the, they were like, uh, smart guys, right? Like, but the, the fact that you could imagine, like, the skinny, like, 
pale-ass intellectual in the Library of Alexandria kind of going out into... Maybe I'm conflating, like, no, no, traditions. No, 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 no. Going yeah, out yeah. into the desert. Like, you could never imagine someone doing that today. Yeah, you can't imagine. Like, what's the most radical thing to do today? Um, you well, know. just, like, fending for yourself. Is, right. Is yeah, they would, so simple they wouldn't bring anything with them, you know? Um, there's, like, I mean, it's varied, because you have, like, some that are like Anthony, where they came from wealth or, you know, relative affluence and renounced it. And you have others, like, I think... I'm not a specialist, but Abba Moses was, a, I think, a runaway slave, and he became sort of a very famous figure. And they passed along. I mean, it's fascinating. You see, like, because then what happened? Originally, you had individuals, and then individuals would live in community, and they were, to this day, in the desert, um, you can go see where Anthony um, stayed. But there's also um, Coptic, Coptic monks. Yeah, that uh, that still, few of them still live in Hermitage, like in the desert, like in that. In the desert. In the desert. There's a really cool documentary. I think it was BBC, but this Anglican minister had gone and he met one of the Coptic monks, and he I believe he was from either the United States or from England, but um, he had two in his Hermitage. He had two rooms, if you will. So it's like into the side of a mountain on a cave, and one of them was the room where he prayed and spent pretty much most of his time in and it had a very small door to get in mm-hmm. and then to the right of it was a room um, where he had all of his kitchen supplies like he had coffee and like bread and jelly and there was a wide door and the the Christian tradition is that you know narrow strive to enter through the narrow gate or narrow door because wide is the path that leads to destruction so his prayer space is a very small skinny door mm-hmm. and his place to eat is very Wide. It's the path of destruction. It's the path of destruction, right? Because he's going to be snacking. That's the thing. He said he, he said, and this is another, in that video, he's, there's a tradition where he says, I don't remember what the, the term is, but it's a way to say that you're a slave of something. And he said that he's a slave of Nescafe. Right. Like he loves, he loves coffee. He loves Nescafe so much that it's like a, they call, I think they call him Father Nescafe. Right. right. So that's just to say that there's a varied history um, but I don't think it can be replicated in any meaningful sense in the, today you know I don't think even I, honestly I don't think I mean everything's so historically circumstantial you can't even for you and me like not even thinking about the the cloistered herm, hermit today but I'm thinking you know it's just still it's difficult to try and recreate that, that. so like what you know what would be considered a healthy, spiritually uh, or integrated lifestyle in, in today's world. Yeah, well, I mean, it does vary. Right, yeah, not everyone can is called or can be called to um, live like a hermit. And even those that do still have, again, like as I just said, uh, varying circumstances around sort of their, their cloistering. Um, in the West, uh, you know, there are like... Just because there's difference doesn't. I mean, obviously, to like sit there in a contemplative state is better than making coffee. But what if I'm, you know, a husband and I have a child who's now in high school and I'm making coffee for. I mean, we all have duties that we're assigned to. Um, to create a, a space where one is open to contemplation is to be mindful and to do that which you do intentional. Be, be intentional with all that you do. 
it's it's a difficult question. I would say that maybe. Uh, yeah, it's just weird. Like if if you're in, yeah. like to go back to it, like if you're in your apartment just watching Netflix all day. Like, yeah. I guess the only problem is that you're consuming bullshit. Yeah. But you know, what if you were, you know, puttering around your apartment doing living intentionally? You know, you're noodling yeah. on your guitar. Yeah. You, you know. Well, that, that, see, that's like, but like, there's a there is a place for you know Netflix. You know, like, you, we can become embarrassed of relaxation. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I could, I would spend at least twenty hours of my day chilling. Yeah. You know, if I had a twenty four hour window, if I was awake, I didn't like you know. If I had twenty four hours, I would spend like twenty hours chilling. Yeah, it's, that's some disciplined chilling. You only get four hours of rest. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, exactly. I did. No, but I mean like. <laughs> you, the rest is the rest is, is the break from the chilling. Yeah, exactly. The rest is the work. Yeah. Like I have to shut my eyes so I can chill again. But it's no, we do we do not like to relax. We don't like relaxation, or at least there's a sort of stigma against relaxing. And it's strange that even on days where we've traditionally devoted them to sort of resting, Saturday and Sunday, yeah, you sometimes find yourself doing things more. It's more chaotic than it was on Monday when you had work. Like you're almost. Yeah, you're worried about work. Yeah. And you're, like, when you're working, at least you're, you know, not prisoner to your anxieties. You may, Hopefully you're focused on whatever, you know, miserable task at hand. But oh, it, yeah, there's no. this weird thing. There's this weird thing where uh, we kind of, you know, forgot what I was going to say. Well, no, I agree with that. I was, I was saying more so, like, you were like, okay, well, I have the weekend, so I'm going to... I'm I'm gonna fill the weekend up, and then you're taking Jimmy to soccer practice, and then oh. you're going out to Panera Bread, and then you're doing all these things. Kind of making up for lost time. It's almost making up for lost time, and then you realize it's Saturday evening, and you've done more. Like it's been a more stressful day than it was on Wednesday when you had like a meeting at work or what have you, you know. But so you it's just all about. I guess it's just finding. Um, it's a good rule of thumb is to anyone can do it. Right, but but to spend maybe fifteen minutes in in, in silence uh, a day, and yeah, anyone anyone can do that. Oh yeah, it yeah I mean it's hard to, when you're starting. Yeah, I mean just go five minutes, and five try minutes to, is huge. It is huge. Try that. Try five minutes, and then try ten minutes. Yeah, and then try to get to fifteen. And if you can go longer, go for it. You know, but like fifteen minutes of of, of meaningful intentional silence. Uh-huh. Is something that even a mom of four boys can do, or very, you know, she's taking a soccer practice, this or that. I mean, even be on a, you know, walking and meditating. Or, yeah, cool to be, you know, be being intentional in whatever it is that you're doing would be nice, and then it kind of spreads throughout your day. Mm-hmm. That'd be really it's, cool. It, it's, it's the, the goal of something like that, of an exercise like that, is that it permeates everything that you do. Yeah, like I always feel like there is this, like something that I, that, that I, complain about with with millennials especially and just generally people using smartphones all the time is that they're like they're having a higher order experience that's like a you know some like lower resolution reference to the to the to the underlying experience like if i'm traveling um you know i'm 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 taking these pictures posting them on instagram and i'm thinking about traveling uh i'm not actually traveling Right. And then, you know, I get I get to the point where I'm like I'm looking at the likes or, you know, the various ways in which I'm like thinking about thinking about traveling. And mm-hmm. th- this it's just like we're living on a different 
plane. Right, yeah. So it's like, it, it would be really nice, for one of my goals, and what you're talking about, like, it'd be really cool to get to a position where you're having the ground experience throughout your day. Right. You know? Yeah. Go on. No, I mean, I just I just worry about it, you know? Well, there's an erotic distancing. Uh, the technology's at hand, but also just you worry that you, you're doing something that's... Hey, little man. Hey, little man. You worry that maybe you're doing something that's that's unoriginal or uh, trite or what have you. You know, like with the, like the photograph, the photo thing you were talking about, you know, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a way of... It's a it's a, a shift in priority, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not you what what experiences you prioritize. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's been I don't know too much about that, uh, but there's probably a, a certain level of manipulation that goes into becoming sort of incessant on posting. Yeah, like what do you think? Do you think it's just? Do you think it's that we're evolving into cyborgs, or do you think that there's like what, what do you think it is? that is driving this alienation. Yeah. Um, Are we learning to use technology and we're just like haven't adjusted to it? Because I think hardly anyone would say like, you know, I, like the, the complaint that I always got when I was like one of the early Luddites complaining, I felt like I was the first person in my cohort complaining about social media and people are like, you're a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's re rewiring our brains in scary it ways. Is. And they were like, you're just a Luddite. Look, you know, people were yelling at Gutenberg with the print, printing press. And, you know, now, like, who's going to complain about reading the newspaper or reading a book? I mean, everybody sees that as, like, a fundamental human experience. Sure. So are we going to learn to use it? Are we going to, like, evolve into it? Uh-huh. Do you think we're just in this weird period where we're just, we haven't adjusted yet? I, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I first want get, to get something straight and say that I'm, I'm a proud Luddite. Yeah. Um, I think there's, uh, there's so many layers to this, and this could be talked on for hours and there's many I actually have a book right now that I haven't started reading but it's it's what the internet's doing to our brains I think it was a, it's like sort of a who wrote that um I can check it's, it's right over there in the office but no, it's, oh, we'll check it later yeah but um it's a uh, maybe first name started date with David uh, anyway nevertheless it was a New York Times bestseller but like um I mean people are starting to wake up to um to the realities of social media and of the internet and so on and so forth Right. And, um, I mean, it, it all goes back to ex, uh, expedience and convenience. Right. But it seems that everything that we try and, I mean, it seems as though everything that we try to use to make our lives easier ends up, I mean, people say medicine, I don't, you know, I'm not, but I'm saying like, when you try and promote something for expedience, I say that because I, now I just realize I use a washer dryer, but. Things we try and use yeah. to con- help control our lives end up controlling us. Yeah, no, there's this, there's a weird thing. Uh, so you think of like the internet and, and, and social media and the, the things that we're complaining about as right. modern Luddites, as like, yeah, sure, as, as on the same continuum as the book, you know, like but the, the, yeah, the, but the, the thing is, the printed not, word. Right? It's weird, like, and the, the distinction, if you, if you, like what you mentioned, if it's, if the, if there's this distinction of is, Basically, are you using the technology or is the technology using you? And mm-hmm. when you look at something like it, it I feel like that kind of cr- drives a wedge and like dr- creates a distinction between 
the technologies that you're describing, like a washer dryer, that yeah. makes your life actually easier and frees up time to spend time with loved ones and doing right. that. But, uh, and there, there needs to be sort of a, a test of some sense. Yeah, it's just weird to think of something that that it, there there is a possibility for a technology to emerge. Um, like there's all this technological progress, and then there's a technology that emerges, which kind of breaks with mm-hmm. the trend, and mm-hmm. it's just it. It's, it's, it's like a point of inflection. It's a completely different thing. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you can't wholesale. I mean, we have, we're recording something on a laptop right now, you know, and, and social media has, like, the new media and social media, all these things, they have power and ideas and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and keeping some people connected and some people meeting and so on. But, you know, you always have to sort of wait and juxtapose that with, with it's bad. Um, and, you know, we might be able to record a podcast and, or, or something along the lines of that and we can spread ideas out into, um, you know, the, the ether or whatever. But there are also, you know, people doing the same thing with hateful rhetoric and platforms. And, yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, but this is to say, like, it's, it's all dialectical. And we, um, I mean, the most, this is a big, this, this topic is huge in theology, religious studies, philosophy. I, my most extreme example, I wrote a paper, but the most extreme example I say is the, you know, nuclear warfare, you know, in, in an effort to limit the amount of bodies of, um, you know, losing life, particularly our own soldiers, in an effort to limit their bodies and the loss of their lives and to, to limit um, the, the cost and the, the trauma of war, uh, we've constructed weapons that um, do uh, innumerable just just damage out the wazoo, you know, whole communities, whole cities, whole countries. It could destroy the world. It could destroy many the times world over. Precisely, especially with the dismantling of the, you know, uh, you know, Cold War resolutions. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, happened a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a scary time to be, but yeah. um, it always will be. But um, that is a, a great example of that which we've made to um, convenience ourselves. Uh, sort of becomes, or, or the, that which we've made to, contr- you know, help us control certain facets of life and, and the political sphere and so on has, has controlled us, and then we now live under fear that someone might use this weapon that was supposed to be an efficient means of, you know, obviously, if you see Nagasaki, you see Hiroshima, you know, it, I don't think efficient is, is an appropriate word, but, you know, you, you see the the degradation and destruction that these weapons are capable of, and we're now all scared. You know, I'm not scared of domestic terrorists, or you know, I mean, like that. That sounded strange, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. That sounds frightening. Yeah, well, I'm not scared of like, uh, you know, you're afraid of like higher scale. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not scared of like getting drafted. You know, like I, you know, like you well, know, because you're old. No, I'm kidding. Well, yes, I'm. You know, I'm getting too old for it, but also I was saying like, you know, like I, some of my students will have parents that fought Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like they were drafted, these kids were going to go to college, or they're you know they're out of high school, or maybe it's they sign up, whatever. But they're drafted, and that's a scary thing. Like, yeah. It's scary to be drafted. But I I don't have to worry about that because I have a bad knee. But also yeah, um, me too. Yeah, exactly. Me too, no, actually. but also it's like the the shape of warfare to come. I don't know if we will need a draft. I hope it's just AI or like like what are those the the dueling robots thing. Yeah, that's I mean, what it should be, you know. If it was like rock'em sock'em. Yeah, if you think of it, like I how know. invested people get into something like the World Cup, 
Like, right. I, I don't understand sports, but sure. maybe that's why I'm able to make a point like this that make, doesn't make any sense. But you can imagine that we could just like get so, you know, absorbed down into our nationalism, and then just have people play a game of soccer, or you know, and then we just give up natural resource. I mean, give up resources and so on. Yeah. For <laughs> I guess that's that's why it would. Yeah, make any I sense. mean, like, and the, the problem with that, I mean, let's say they were robots, but that's also scary. Or what if you know we could do something where we put the robots. We put these autonomous robots that are programmed to actually, um, you know, implement uh, sanctions or actually harvest and, and, and abscond with resources of that the, the losing side has agreed to forfeit mm-hmm. beforehand. So if you could set up the whole thing as like a Rube Goldberg machine or like a script and just like hit play and then whoever wins... Like it, it just like the policy is carried out automatically. That sounds like a cool futuristic way of doing things, um, to me. Yeah, but uh, that's why I'm that's not, dangerous. Like, you know, I'm a technocrat, so yeah. Well, like yeah, my my whole thing is I think AI is 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 it's really dangerous. I, I saw, mean, but you look at like surgical applications and it, sure. it's a beautiful thing. Both and right, you know, you again, it's it's just like social media. But you know what though. Am I interrupting you? you no, 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 you can, you can go on. Yeah, I was going to say, like, earlier I was going to say this, too. I was like, there are... It's, it's really hard to make a sweeping judgment these days because there's so much data on not only both sides, but every side. Like, right. there's data that just forms an infinite number of sides to anything that you could say. You know, I can Google and come up with some bizarre interpretation that's, you know, way beyond the realm of what a narrative would be, you uh-huh. know? Walter Cronkite era or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like there are times that we, we assume that because we're living and, and we're always living and applying and using the technologies that are coming out in, in the era that we live in and we, we identify with them. Well, yeah, and right. we, we assume that this is just, this is part of me and this is this is the way life is supposed to be. And I'm, I'm thinking like, well when you think of the number of technological advancements there have been over the course of history, it can't be that every single one of those was good. Yeah, of course You know not. what I mean? So, like, we are, no doubt, unless I'm missing something right now, but I feel like I would argue that we are, no doubt, in this time, witnessing innovations that are just, all in all, just bad. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, maybe not all in all, but just, like, on balance. Like, they're, yeah. they're worse than they are helpful. I think that there is, um, there is. We've we've discussed this before, but I, I say tongue in cheek. I'm a luddite just because I'm, you know, I don't have a Facebook. But you, there, we live in an era where there's a, a lack of nuance. Where if you don't have a Facebook, you are a luddite. But those that are luddites are like really actually luddites. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're everything. These technological events. You could say someone like Wendell Berry. I mean, I like Wendell Berry, but like, you know, he has this famous essay, Why I'm Not Going to Buy a Computer. Or, you know, how he wouldn't upgrade his tractor. And sort of, he dreads a loss of community, and there's a lot of strength to what he has to say. But I'm just saying, like, you know, and he obviously, I, I take back everything I just said about Wendell Berry. I'm sure he's a man of great nuance. But, you know, but the lack of nuance drives it. So you have technology, um, and technology in some strengths. In some sense, although it, it, it's a proclamation of progress and, and future, almost brings us uh, to uh, our more primitive. Um, our, 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 it, it brings out like a primitive attitude or a primitive desire. 
We yeah. can mindlessly submit to video games or mindlessly submit to, you know, like it definitely, I mean, again, I haven't read that book, but it definitely has a way, an effect on the way in which we think about things and process things. Yeah. You know. Um, you think of like the... Littleman. Yeah, there he is. He's, he's making noises throughout. But can, I, can I think of what? No, I'm just thinking, you, you think of progress and then you think of, you, you, you talk about the mindless uh, use of you know, video games and, and social media and technologies that really uh, you know, co-opt our minds during, the, during our waking hours. Sure. So it, when I think of history, I think of conservative forces that are like Wendell Berry who are kind of trying to preserve nuance. And yeah. then I think of you know, progressive forces that are trying to accelerate progress. And you know, they think that these new advancements are, are leading us to a good place. But then they're like, <laughs> I feel like most of us in this day and age, we're just passive observers and I feel like right. we don't it's, it's, it's hard to really admit that you're just a, a passive consumer when the narrative of history is the two sides and you know even sure. though we sit and we talk about the positions that we hold on sure. on technology like in, in large part we're just kind of we're watching it we're watching it go by yeah no I mean that that's true I mean I have a few things to say about that one it's strange that we live in sort of a, you know, like, it's like like a, a post-modernity in some sense where, you know, everyone loves sort of postmodern ideals. Um, you know, I mean, we're coming towards the end of that. Uh, but, you know, did you say something along the line? Was that you the other day that said, uh, I'm speaking my truth? No, sorry. No, that was Oprah. Yeah, sure, right, yeah. like, But, like, that's not obviously, like, Jacques Derrida, but, like, it's sort of this like we live in a in in a a world where we have a proclamation of an incredulity towards like sweeping narratives and we you know we're wanting we're very careful about that which we apparently about context and so on and so forth yet we're uncritical bystanders of the elite that are pushing a narrative of progress that's not tenable and I think that the ultimate end is a uh, uh, it sounds like I'm a conspiracy theorist, but the but it's I'm not I'm not I mean Oxford has I think coalitions, but the ultimate end is sort of uh, so one can upload their consciousness mm-hmm. and achieve a sense of digital immortality. Um, yeah. So really, the whole exercise is um, is is one of fear. They're 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 fearful of their own mortality. They're fearful of their own limitations, and therefore they want to somehow find a way in which they can. I mean, it's just, I mean, go, this goes back. I mean, it's, it, the, the, the tension is, you know, as a man with, you know, religious convictions, I, you could say the same thing about me, but I mean, you go back to, yeah. we've always been chasing this. Well, it, the funny thing, and it, from my pop feel-good, and we'll, we'll close it off in a second, yeah. but from my pop feel-good uh, exploration of, you know, spiritual practice, uh, there was a. I was watching a seminar that Sadhguru, the yogi, did. Yeah, yeah. And there was a man, you know, young young man stood up and he said, "Can you talk about what happens after you die?" And um, Sadhguru said something to the effect of, "You know, how much time in your life are you willing to invest into uncovering what it is that you are actually?" Right. And because we spend such a little time in introspection and figuring out, right. you know, what is consciousness and inquiring on that. It sounds so silly to me, the idea of 
uploading your consciousness yeah. sounds like a bastardization of like, do I really want this like little strat, this little suffering stratum of, right. of you know this peevish little like fragment of my being to be you know suffering in perpetuity exactly yeah like right yeah no, I actually actually don't want that yeah that's that's like I'd rather die it's such a that's one of those it's like, like a silly western idea it is it's well it's, it's libertarian a, it's, it's a joke it's it's a libertarian idea it's mm-hmm. it's you know like the, that's the irony of it it's radically individualized yeah um, and it also it like it's not like gnostic insofar as you're denying the goodness of like of your body to be embodied yeah like there are you like consciousness cannot be uploaded insofar as it would just be a copy of a piece of you but if you're embedded your consciousness is embedded with you know what it means to be embodied to mm-hmm. move my arm to to be i am the whole of my person so if you upload my consciousness mm-hmm. you upload a shadow of of me well um, how yeah where the it's just dressing up death is what i think it, it it's just how would you uh, I guess partition the consciousness that gets uploaded. What is that data structure? You know, I'm a, I'm into computer science, so like, what does the data structure look like? Right. Exactly. And how do we know that that's appropriate? How do we know? Because and and the weird thing is, you could imagine maybe designing a system where it like like machine learning, where like we we sort of know that it subsumes what there is to be. Like it, you know, this this subsumes all consciousness. Um, but then again, we don't understand consciousness in the first place, so we're uploading something that we don't understand. Right. Therefore, how do we know that we're actually uploading the thing that we want? It's, it's yeah. just like, I, mean, I just think it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, it resides in like the world of Philip K. Dick because it, that's where it should be. Like, It's a fun prospect of conversation. Mm-hmm. But I heard recently these, these developers had made... They had these two computers, and then these computers were able to start communicating with each other. The Google thing, yeah. Yes, yes, and then they started communicating and the developers couldn't figure out what they were communicating. Yeah. And you know what they did? They unplugged the computers. I think we have to be sensible enough to come to a point where we say no. Yeah. It's good to say no. Uh, It's good to say no to that which denies our humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think your consciousness is... Well, I mean, what what about... What what is consciousness? That's the, I mean that's a very I'm not gonna, I mean, you were not qualified or I'm right, not qualified. I'm not qualified. I, you know no I, you know, but but like what about someone that is intellectually disabled? You know yeah. What about you know someone that has Alzheimer's? Like where do you, where do you gather their consciousness, their memories? These and that, you know yeah. like there's there's so much wrong with. I think there's so much of the project will strip the dignity of the whole human experience from. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's consciousness. Like, I mean, you're a, a more religious background than I am. Yeah, uh, I'm not at all. I come from a secular background, but you know, the idea that consciousness is only exists within the confines of you know, the the human right. body, right, in your head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not convinced by that. Sure, I don't have any direct evidence for that so it's just like you know I feel like we're at this strange time where um, people who don't understand it's like there's I remember there's this really cool lyric um, 
he's a Curtis Mayfield. He's like, are mm-hmm. we going to commit our genocide before we check out our minds? You know, mm-hmm. I ain't coming. And it's just like, yeah, it's just all these people. I mean, I know that I'm, I'm using using a quote that that was made in one context. I, I'm sure. switching the context. I mean, hey, but but I think it's like it's just a bunch of people who don't understand their minds making using increasingly powerful tools to. Uh, act on their environments in ways that they, they, they have no idea what the consequences are going to be. Right. Because they're anxious people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it goes, this is the last thing I'll say, mm-hmm. with, with it, it's all, in my, my estimation, it's all an anxiety over one's finitude. Just, I will always return to that. It's always an anxiety over dying because it's scary to die. But, and it is naturally scary to die, but, if you talk to many people, you'll find that, that death uh, can be a beautiful thing insofar as, you know, people will be in great stages of contemplation and stages of prayer, stages of choice, radically choosing, here's how I am and here's what's going to happen and there's reconciled relationships. Death, what surrounds death can be a beautiful thing. I heard a story uh, of a, a priest was talking about, you know, death and why people... People, sort of anxiety and, and fear and so on. And he was saying that there was this sister, a religious sister that was involved in his community, and she had gathered a lot of friends, and she was dying. And as she died, all these people were showing up to see her. And she said, well, who knew death was going to be so much fun? You know, she has a room full of all of her best friends around her. You know, like what a... In, in that, you know, there's a sense of, of being content and... and Realizing that um, it just it's it, it's to die is to be human, as is to live, you know. Yeah. In in that capacity, but yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's beautifully put. Man. Thanks, yeah. thanks for having the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening to people. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing to the program wherever you get your podcasts deeply appreciate your feedback in the form of a review on one of these platforms as we intend on refining and growing the program based on insights from listeners like you. Finally, for more information or to donate to this listener-supported project, please visit our website at peoplepod.org. After all, it's people like you who keep us going. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of People, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.